Hi, everyone. How are you doing? I am Sergio from the Dodgeball Podcast International Series, and here with me I have... Uh, Straubs, or Mark Allen, depends on how early you know me from. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm uh, I'm a Spartans player, currently top of Super League. Um, I've been in the England squad for a while now, um, and in the GB squad as well. Uh, me and my mate Henry, we, um, we've set up a company called House of Dodge, um, and we're co-owners of that. Nice. Um, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Henry. Uh, he was interviewed, I want to believe it now, five years ago at this point. <laughs> he was, wait, was it five years ago? That was, yeah, 2019. It would, no, three years ago. Sorry. It, three years ago. Yeah, three years ago now. Sorry. Uh, prior to going to Cancun, so... <laughs> It's kind of funny. He was the end of, or he almost was the tail end of that season, and you're the end of this season. Um, so before, we, <laughs> <laughs> so before we um, start with your story, let's get some uh, preliminaries out of the way. What's your jersey number, and what's the story behind it? Uh, so jersey number is four. Um, when I was younger, I was a big. Uh, well, I still am a big football fan. Uh, I think when I played football, I wanted number seven originally because of David Beckham, obviously. Um, <laughs> but I've I've always been an Arsenal fan, and uh, Patrick Vieira was my favourite Arsenal player back at the back in the time. And I played the same position as him. Um, and yeah, I just sort of liked the way he played and everything. So I sort of based my game on Patrick Vieira, and he was number four. Nice. So, uh, yeah, four came up, and I was like, yeah, I'll take I'll take four. <laughs> That's a throwback right there, dude. That's a throwback. Yeah, a long time ago. Jeez, that, man. That, that was when Arsenal were good. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> I think it's been, it's been a hard seven years, that's for sure. <laughs> well, you brought it up. I was going to leave you alone, but you, you brought that up. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's get let's get to it. When did you start playing? What was your first session like? Where was it? Um, so it was at uni, uh, Derby University, uh, big up the Seahawks. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I started playing in 2012, I believe it was, and it was actually my second year at university. So first year I played football, um, but there was so much politics and I didn't really enjoy football that much. Um, well, it was the first time in my life I never really enjoyed the football I was playing. Mm. Um, so I was like, I, I got to change this. Um, and I went to try out lots of different sports, um, lacrosse, um, what else did I do? Uh, ultimate Frisbee and dodgeball. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I fell in love with dodgeball in the first session. And uh, yeah, I've been playing ever since. I've been hooked. Oh, nice. uh, what year was this? Uh, 2012, I think it was. Woo! Oh yeah. man! <laughs> you said that. And, yeah, yeah. You've been around for a while, so you were pretty. You started it in three ball era, then. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, when I joined Seahawks, um, they were a very good team, and uh, in my first season, I actually won DPL, which is the equivalent of Super League now. Oh wow! So that that was pretty fortunate. <laughs> You won that in your first year? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I started with two golds, actually. I won a freshers tournament. And that was the first ever tournament, dodgeball tournament I'd ever been to. Um, I captained the freshers team. 
and we won gold in that. And then, yeah, we won uh, DPL that year as well, which was sort of, uh, I think it escalated my career sort of very early on uh, and did me a lot of favours. So that was, that was very fortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Suffice to say, you would be what we call the rookie of 2012. I mean, you started in, in university, you won uh, a, a medal for your, uh, for your college or university team, and you were at the top of essentially what would be the Super League now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were running, didn't you? Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was a good season. Um, dodgeball wasn't the standard it is now back then, um, so it was easier for newer players to sort of get to the higher level sort of quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was very fortunate. I was in a very good team because obviously I was training against like the best every week, so it definitely any, helped. <laughs> any familiar names that we would know about that you played with during that time? Uh, that, so the first player player I ever met in dodgeball was David Paul uh, Jaffa. Wow. Um, yeah, he strolled up to me on the first day and he was like, he just sort of introduced himself and obviously he's a big figure. So I was like, oh, this guy's big. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then he sort of, um, yeah, ever since, um, well, I've played with Jaff the rest of my career, pretty much everywhere I've gone. Um, but yeah, he got me into dodgeball and he sort of kept me there. Took me under his wing for the first couple of years, which was uh, which was very nice. Um, who else was there? Alex uh, Alex Harrison was kind of there. He lived locally, so he came to training quite a lot. Uh, Chris Harper, uh, Ben Allsop, uh, Andrew Carson. There was there was quite a lot of people. Um, Lauren Folks, uh, Emma Wright, um, Jen Allen, and April O'Brien were there as well. Wait, did you say Jen Allen was there too? Yeah, yeah. I can't remember if she joined the same year as me or if it was the year after. But we were, we were like new players at the, at the similar time. So. Oh wow! And she's the current uh, England manager. Yeah, yeah. I got contacts. <laughs> <laughs> so you pretty much listed, essentially, if we were to have them, uh, Hall of Famers from England that you went to school with. You um, didn't. You named a lot of like the talent you must have trained with on a weekly, daily, whatever, how many times you practice. Essentially, Hall of Famers, top to finish, top to bottom. Yeah, I've been very fortunate that um, <laughs> everywhere I've gone, sort of, I've trained with the people that are playing at the very top level. Um, so yeah, as I, as I say, that that sort of accelerated my my career <laughs> from a very very early stage. Oh, I could only imagine the training sessions back in the day. Yeah. You definitely felt beat up, I'm sure. It was no oh, easy. Yeah. I, remember, I remember my first few sessions. I was um, I was a bit scared, <laughs> but but you soon get used to it, don't you? And then um, and then I remember the first time I caught Jeff out. Uh, that, that was a good moment. Um, <laughs> I, I I always competed against Alex. I remember. Uh, I don't know if he knew this, but I was always forever just trying to take him out. <laughs> Because you got you got to beat the best to be the best, don't you? <laughs> I respect that. Um, what was the expression on David Poole's face when you caught him the first time? Do you recall? I think the first time he was quite shocked, um, but <laughs> I've caught him many times since. So he's, oh, he's sweet! You <laughs> should be used to it by now. I mean, obviously, it's yeah. been what ten years after the fact, but the first yeah. time, yeah. you know, behemoth like that. 
the first time I think I think not many freshers caught him out because he had such a big throw with the with the old three balls. Um, and yeah, it was it was a very sort of powerful throw. Um, and I don't I don't think he was used to pretty much anyone catching him out to be honest. <laughs> well, I can't I can't imagine that he gets caught too often. Um, but how how, how many um, years did you play with uh, Darby? Um, so I played three years for them. So my first year I was a fresher, second year I was the social sec, and then third year I was actually the president of the club. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, so you moved up within like the ladder in that end too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think I was a very good president though. I think the club went downhill a bit when I was president. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I moved up the ladder. Um, it was mainly because most of the senior players left. Um, so it's kind of like, oh God, someone needs to run this club. <laughs> <laughs> so after Derby, obviously you would graduate. Um, when was your what was your first uh, club? Was it Spartans? Um, so after uni, I actually um, took a break from dodgeball for a couple of years. Uh, so I moved back home to my parents after uni. And uh, there wasn't a dodgeball club anywhere near us. So I kind of, um, I just stopped playing. And I was like, oh, I kind of got back into football a little bit. And uh, I think, I can't remember what year it was exactly, but I watched, I think it was the World Cup in Manchester, where they had a really good live stream of it and everything. And it had changed from three ball to five ball. And I was like, i got to get back into this sport. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get back. Um, because the three ball game, I wasn't a massive fan of that. Um, but I saw the five ball game and I saw it was a bit quicker and a bit more, you had to be a lot more agile and a few more tactics came into it and stuff. So I was like, I've got to get back into this, this sport. Um, and I ended up, I ended up moving, um, to Levington. Oh, and it just, wow. it just so happened that David Paul was there. Alex Harrison was there. Um, <laughs> a lot of the old dirty ducks were there, um, so we, we just set up a team. And again, extremely fortunate that there were so many good players just around. That again, we went straight into the top league. And I think first season we came second in the top league. Um, but yeah, again, very fortunate. <laughs> just the right so, place at the right time, I guess. Clearly. I mean, the fact I, I didn't even know that you initially took a couple years off. And then what brought you back was the change. The change yeah. from three ball to five ball. Yeah, it was exactly that. I just um, the old free balls sort of messed with my arm a bit as well. They were a bit my my elbow by the end of university was uh, <laughs> was pretty wrecked. Well, I was a bit of a scrawny kid back then. Um, I didn't have much muscle, and it just sort of pulled on all my tendons. Um, <laughs> so I think the break did me well. I got a little bit of muscle, and um, yeah, I came back with the smaller balls, and and, it, <laughs> and the game suited me much more. So. I think I think if anything, what surprises me more is that when you said you moved to Leamington, you just bumped into the same faces, almost like you weren't expecting to. Is Leamington <laughs> just not like not like a it central was, place uh, to go to? Or um, yeah, so I got a job in Leamington. Um, I, I worked at a trampoline park, and um, I kind of moved there. I kind of half knew that a couple of people lived nearby, um, but I didn't know the extent of sort of talent that lived nearby um and when when they said we're setting up a team i was like okay cool yeah i'll play 
and then um, sort of turning up to training and there's all of the Dirty Ducks and as I say, Jaff and Alex and yeah, some very, very good players around. Um, so Darren Skilton and uh, Will Jeb, uh, Sam Maycock. Um, yeah, just some, some really good players. Wait, did I hear that correctly? You said you worked at a trampoline park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I've, so, I've, had a lot of, I've had a lot of jobs in my life. Um, um, yeah. Oh, no. One of them was working at a trampoline park. <laughs> so I can, I can imagine at some point, because I know you played in the UDC, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were part of the British Bulldogs. Yeah, yeah, I was. So clearly you had no problem with access getting to training or getting some training time with where you worked. Call it work with benefits if you want to go there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so my work uh, gave me a lot of benefits, um, <laughs> so, as it were. Um, so uh, I, I managed to wangle it so that our whole team could go there and train. Um, and they didn't – I believe we, I got it for free um, – so it was sort of once a fortnight or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was it was a good deal, and we got, we got use of the dodgeball trampoline park for, for like an hour or so, two hours or again I can't remember what it was, but yeah, they they helped us out a lot the trampoline park, which was good. Nice. So obviously the the switch to three ball to five ball for the people I've interviewed was a big shock to 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 them, you know, when they when they played it, when they were watching it. Um, but you kind of have a unique perspective coming off of a break. And obviously you said your tendons were wrecked in your elbow. I, obviously the smaller ball had to do you a lot of favors. Um, at what point after the Manchester World Cup would you say that you officially became a part of Spartans? Oh, I don't think it was long. Um, I think maybe within half a year, sort of within – four to six months probably so yeah it kind of sparked me to get a job sort of where i knew a couple of people lived <laughs> <laughs> so um so describe your first year playing with them in spartans like you said you went second with them the first year yeah i believe it was um you'll probably find out through this interview that my memory of stuff isn't the best uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i believe our first season, we were we were playing in Ducks kit, so it was quite a. We were obviously a new team that it was basically Dirty Ducks and then a few extras, and uh, yeah, so it was really good because we played Dirty Ducks style. A lot of their guys were really good players, but they couldn't train that much. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember the season to be honest. I can't remember. <laughs> it that long. I remember. I remember that we came second. Uh, but yeah, it just felt like a good season. It was nice to play with some mates. It wasn't very serious. And we just sort of um, turned up, played some dodgeball. It, because we were a new team and stuff, I think we were just finding our feet. We didn't know what to expect or how competitive we would be. Mm. And, um, yeah, it turned out we were quite competitive. And then every season from then on, we've sort of recruited more and more players. And I think we've got quite a reputation now as a a strong club, not just the men's first team. We've got, we got a women's team that is smashing it at the moment and a second team that is doing unbelievably well. Um, I, from, what, from my understanding, you guys pull from the Warwick University nearby as far as yeah, like training so, people? Um, again, um, very fortunate. We've got Warwick University nearby. We've got um, 
Coventry Uni nearby. We've got Birmingham nearby. Uh, and to an extent, we've got Leicester, which isn't too far away. Um, but they're obviously closer to Meteors, I think, in that direction. But yeah, we got we we get quite a few uh, uni players to our to our training sessions, and um, I, I don't know their opinion fully, but Warwick are smashing it at league this year, both men's and women's. Um, so I'm hoping the training that they get at Spartans is sort of helping them progress. I would I would think so. I mean, when you have, you know, the list of players that you're playing with now and people playing with in the past, you definitely take something from it. I can't imagine if you show up to a training and let's say it's you or Jeff or or if you're one of the ladies, Lottie, you know, you you it, it would be hard to not take something from one of you guys in training sessions unless you're legitimately not paying attention. You've got to be improving in yeah. some way. I think, I think that's a good point, actually. I think um, I think our training sessions are a very high standard, but the attitude of all of these young players coming through, like you just can't fault it. Like they're committed to everything. They want to learn. They ask questions. They come with the right attitudes. They sort of challenge themselves against like the top players and everything. So you got to credit them for their attitudes as well. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah, solid point. Um, when was your first uh, experience playing for England? So this England? is a really—I—I—I <laughs> I, I, I don't know—I um, don't know if people sort of realise this too much, but I've—I've I've actually never had an England cap. <laughs> Wait, what? I got—I got into the England squad on my first year playing dodgeball, um, and yeah, I've just for some reason or another, I have never got an England cap. So, no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, the first couple of years, potentially, I was in. I, again, I, I can't remember fully, but I was in the squad. Um, yeah, I was in the squad, and I can't remember if I just didn't get picked or I couldn't make the tournament or something like that. Um, so the first couple of years, it was just I was a fringe player, so I, I assume I just didn't get picked. But then from then onward, I just always got really unfortunate injuries at really bad times. Um, <laughs> And then I was going to play my first ever cap. Uh, we had a home nation, uh, not a home nation, uh, yeah, a friendly fixture against Northern Ireland. Um, and then obviously the pandemic hit. So I was, I was really excited to get my first England cap. I think I was about two weeks away from getting my first England cap. <laughs> and then obviously a pandemic hit and I couldn't, uh, couldn't get my England cap. So yeah, I've not got, I've not got any, I've got more GB caps than I have England caps, and I've only been part of GB for one year. <laughs> I find, I laugh because I find that shocking. Because I, 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 I make, I'm, just, I just lost my mind for a little bit. Um, <laughs> I've definitely seen you in like pictures and footage. I think maybe training with the England squad. But you, you're telling me you've never actually officially been rostered for Euros or an NEC. You've yeah, never yeah. actually played for them. So I've been that in England is... for eight years, I believe. And um, yeah, I've never played for them. I, the one I remember the most was I was on like really, really good form. Um, and there was a tournament coming up and I was like, I'm surely going to get picked for this. Like, I'm definitely <laughs> getting picked. We did like fitness tests and stuff, and I, I smashed all of them. And I was in like I was in such good shape. Um, and then I tore my meniscus, mm. and, I, 
and then I was out for like months and then they didn't pick me for the Euros. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah, Euros, I think it was. And um, yeah, they just didn't pick me and I was like, oh, okay, that's annoying. Oh, actually, no, I remember it. It was a World Cup um, because I went to UDC instead. So I went to UDC and I had a torn meniscus at the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you played, did you play, you, you're talking about in Chicago, right? Yeah, Chicago. I played trampoline dodgeball tournament with a torn meniscus, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that doesn't. that's not smart, people. Just anything <laughs> knee-related and trampolines, if you got an issue, just don't do what Mark Allen did. Um, yeah. It's kind of strange me calling him Mark Allen, so let's just kind of jump into it. Before we talk about the UDC journey, who dubbed you Straubs, and how did that stick so well? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, that's I, funny, actually. Um, <laughs> so that was actually – so you know I said I went to this first ever Derby Seahawks training session, and I met Jeff. Yeah. Um, basically, to, to recruit better, they, they organized a social that evening. So they invited every fresher that came to training to the social in the evening. Um, and we were just playing drinking games around this really big table. And for some reason, the seniors just sort of said, oh, we need to give the freshers some nicknames. And uh, yeah, mine, mine, mine actually originated as, um, because I, earlier in the evening, someone asked me, oh, what color is your hair? And I said, well, I call it ginger, but other people have said it's strawberry blonde. Um, so one of the one of the seniors was like, "Oh, let's call him Strawberry," <laughs> and um, they all said, "Okay, yeah, that's it. We'll call him Strawberry." And then by the end of the night, everyone got bored of saying Strawberry, so they they just shortened it to Straubs, and it it stuck ever since day one of my dodgeball career. <laughs> <laughs> so day one of you actually playing, you in a session, you go to like some social after the fact and that's where you got your so you pretty much had that nickname from the very possibly beginning like you just did yeah, not yeah literally day one of my career <laughs> i played, played about two hours of dodgeball in my entire life and um yeah i got a nickname forever now <laughs> yeah pretty much i mean and for, for the people at home sometimes like i'll see his name on a post I'll see Mark Allen on a post, and sometimes we'll still have to think of that Straubs. Like, it's become so yeah. synonymous yeah. with him that I'm sure if you were to, say, debut with the England team, which is incredible that that hasn't happened yet, that the commentators will probably call you Straubs more than Mark Allen because <laughs> it's yeah. that synonymous yeah. with you. Oh, it's really funny because, um, yeah, like – it stuck so well that, like, like you just said, people didn't know my name. Like, they literally didn't know my actual name. Um, and like, someone like Jaff would call me Mark, and they'd be like, "Who's Mark?" <laughs> I'm like, "Who is that?" And this is like someone, like one of my best friends at uni, and it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to sort of talk more instead of just getting drunk every night. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, talk more soberly, as we would say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, another funny thing. Um, so when I got into GB and I went to Cancun, um, they said I couldn't put straws on my shirt. They said it had to be Alan. And I was like, but no one will know who Alan is. <laughs> uh, so in the end, I bought three, three jerseys, as, as you call them. And um, I got two with Alan on and one with straws on. 
<laughs> I've got to have one with straws on at least, um, so that I could I could trade it or whatever. No one will trade for an Allen shirt. Yeah, we wouldn't know who that is unless we saw the number four on the back of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. I know you guys had an interesting experience in uh, UDC in Chicago. Uh, apparently there was a scrimmage where a couple of the USA players brought some rubber, brought some foam, and you guys brought some cloth balls, and you guys pretty much had what I call a dodgeball exchange via scrimmages. How is that experience like? How is it like watching some of the Americans playing the cloth balls that you guys played? And how is it like watching some of your guys playing some of the foam or rubber balls, whatever they brought with them. Yeah, um, I remember that as one of, like, that's one of my highlights of dodgeball, my dodgeball career, because it was so good just to have people from, like, all different nations just just sort of merging and playing all different versions of the sport. But nobody, like, everyone was there to try the other sport. They weren't like, oh, I don't like this because of that, I don't like that. that. But everyone had such an open mind. And they just committed fully to playing the version of dodgeball that was on the court at the time. Uh, and it was just so good to see. Um, but yeah, there was some people that I remember being like really good at cloth that had never played it before. And there was like, I remember playing elite with them rubber balls and it just gave me bad flashbacks to playing free ball again. I was like, oh, these balls are too big. My elbow <laughs> went and hit somewhere. It was like, oh no, I'm not doing this again. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, uh, no, it was really good, except Pinch. I'm not a big fan of Pinch. You're not a big remember, fan of Pinch? I remember, I remember um, Simon Jones almost got the knife, uh, the life knocked out of him by someone. And, like, I think the ball print was on his face for the next three days or something. <laughs> <laughs> he got knocked to six, that was for sure. Um, but, yeah, I remember sort of watching that and I was like, I might, I might give this one a miss. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was during the tournament as well, I remember. Like, we were playing yeah. the next day in the tournament. So it was like, you kind of had half an eye on, okay, I'm, I, I, I don't want to get injured here. But then you also had another sort of thing like, oh, this is really fun and I want to get involved with everyone and sort of join in. Yeah. yeah after, um... after seeing that, I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, <maybe laughs> Maybe I'll sit pinch out. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Simon Jones. Yeah, that there was a clip that circulated for a while, and um, the guy who threw it, his name is Justin Pyan. So, oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Pyan nearly ended your boy's life because um, <laughs> that was hurt. that thing resonated loudly. And apparently yeah. he had like a thunderbolt shaped scar on his chest for like a week after that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I tell you what, if you got that clip, I would love to see it. That would, that would be nice. Oh, I got it. I got to look for it, but I know Vince shared it. I know Nate shared it. Pyan shared it. And he's not even on social media much. Okay. <laughs> even Simon Jones shared it. Like, it, oh, it, yeah. I mean, why not share the, de share the time you almost died. <laughs> So, no, playing. Well. Well. Yeah. Um, obviously, you guys made an impression um, playing on trampolines. How far did you guys go in the tournament? You guys were top eight, I believe, right? Not quite. Um, we should have been top eight. We lost to, was it Toy Soldiers or something like that? Um, we lost to a team that we beat 
in the in the round robin, um, which was unfortunate. I think first year we came ninth, and second year we came tenth or something. So we were just out of the top eight positions. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the trampoline park—they um, sort of. We were all pretty happy because we we got our trips paid for. Basically, we got funded quite a lot to get to Chicago and our accommodation costs and everything. So we were all pretty chuffed just to be there, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, so after the UDC unfortunately folded, um, which would have been what twenty nineteen? No, twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Jeez, my oh, memory yeah. sucks now. <laughs> Yeah, it's rubbing off on you. It's ah. Well, because <laughs> you and I have been playing roughly around the same time, and I'm thinking I have to like pinpoint dates. It's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, I remember earlier in my dodgeball career, I just um, I wasn't very organised. I would just to, like basically jump in someone's car in the morning, and I'd be like, "Okay, cool, we're playing here today." And then I'd be like, "What tournament is this?" And stuff like <laughs> I'd just turn up on the day and be like, "Okay, cool, I'm playing play some dodgeball and go." Home. Well, that's Which the beauty in the beginning. Remembering everything. <laughs> well, th- that's the beauty in the beginning. You fall in love with the game, and you essentially just play as much as you can, as much as you want, as much as available around you, and you don't really care at times. You don't care what the format is or or how many teams will be there. You just want to just be on the court. And then as as we progress, skill set, the, the sport, the sport of the. Uh, the growth of the sport will grow and all that, it starts to become a little more serious. Like it becomes more of a passion rather than a hobby, if that makes sense. Exactly, yeah. So let's cut, let's get to it. So after UDC, you resume with Martins and you're consistently at the top of the table. Sadly, around the time of the pandemic, um, <laughs> the start of the pandemic rather, how did you guys feel going into it? And then how did it feel just having it abruptly taken from you at that point? I mean, not taken from you, your perspective, um, not to say that, that that the pandemic didn't affect everyone, but how did that feel like when, when you heard that the season was going to be cut when it was cut? Um, yeah, it sucked pretty hard, to be honest, um, as it did for everyone. Uh, but just from a dodgeball perspective, um, we were uh, – Spartans at the time, we were top of the table and we were sort of firing on all cylinders uh, that season. Uh, we were training hard, everyone was in the gym, everyone was getting fit, everyone was sort of just putting 100% into everything. Uh, and we really thought that was our season because Meteors had won it for such a long time. Um, we were like, this is our season, this is it, this is the one. Uh, and the whole team was just vibing the same, it was just everyone knew like we kind of had that instinct where we were like we're going to win this um and then it was annoying because when the pandemic first hit i thought okay we'll it'll be a couple of months and then they'll just resume the season over the summer or something and then obviously it went on a bit longer and they decided to end the season um we got gold medals um because we were top at the time but it, it didn't feel like a proper victory. I know it, it'll go down as like, oh yeah, Spartans won that season. But at the time, I think we'd drawn with Meteors that season and we hadn't beat them. So it was like, for me personally, it's like, you can't win a season without beating Meteors. Like, beating Meteors is almost better than winning the league. <laughs> <laughs> 
like in my mind anyway, because I, yeah. I sort of have I sort of have such a competitive spirit against them. Um, like they're all my mates off the court, but on the court they're the team that I want to beat every single season. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'll take the win of the season because I do I do believe that if the season carried on, we would have we would have been top at the end. But obviously, you can't you don't know that for sure. Yeah. So I can like it feels yeah. Basically, I want to win this season just to prove that <laughs> prove that it wasn't like just because it got cut short that we deserved to win it. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm not. I don't live there, but just knowing as much as I know at the time and more so now, I would say you guys were on a collision course. If it wasn't you two, it was them and Storm or you and Storm or something. Like I felt like you, you and Meteors just had that neck and neck thing. Like you guys were just like two Rams in the Serengeti ready to go. And unfortunately we didn't get to see that that year. Um, but which kind of brings me to an interesting point. The formation of House of Dodge between you and Henry Skinner. You guys oh, yeah. want to take each other's head off on, on the court every single time. But you guys formed sort of a business relationship. Kind of explain, how did that start? Who came up with the idea? Who approached who? Was it sort of a mutual thing that just happened out of nowhere? Like, yeah, Give well, us a brief rundown of that. That's the beauty of Dodgeball, isn't it? Like... Um, you get competitive people on court and you, you want to kill them when you're on court. But then as soon as you get off court, everyone's mates, everyone's like, everyone gets on. And, and yeah, like off court, me and Henry were good mates. We, um, we've obviously been to like Cancun together and stuff. And yeah, basically at the time, I'm trying to remember when it was, it was some point over lockdown or it was just before lockdown. You know, and, around uh, yeah. And basically I'd set up a company because I was, doing dodgeball coaching as the time at the time as my job um so i'd set up a company to do the coaching but i also was selling balls and stuff on the side just as like another income and then i sort of spoke to henry and he's like oh i'm, I'm thinking of doing the same thing um and he'd sort of put wheels in motion on on his company and i was like well should we just do it together? Like it makes sense, right? Not to compete against each other. We might as well put two brains into one thing instead of two brains into two things that are going to compete with each other. Um, and yeah, we're both just so passionate. Like dodgeballs our life. We commit a lot to it. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's turned out to be a really good partnership, to be honest. Because um, people that know me know that I'm not overly corporate, um, but Henry's <laughs> very corporate, so it's. It works really well because he's good at the fine details of everything. And I, I like to think I'm sort of good at the ideas. And uh, we've certainly got different skills that complement each other very well. Um, and, yeah, it's a really good partnership. But the reason we, we, we sort of had a big business meeting at the start and we were like, what are the goals for your company? What are the goals for my company? Where do you want to be in like five years? Where, where do you see all of this stuff heading? Um, just to check that our morals and everything sort of lined up. Um, and both of us fully agreed that we're doing it for the good of dodgeball. Like, yeah, it's nice to make a profit and stuff, but we've been going for over a year now. and Me and Henry haven't taken any money out of the business at all. It's all reinvested. Um, and we're looking at sponsoring some players. We've sponsored a couple of clubs. We're, we're really just trying to, we're trying to put as much back into dodgeball as we can. 
eventually, of course, we'd like to take a profit out of it. Um, but both of our main points, both of our main focus is to develop dodgeball. That's why we post out so many of these articles and everything. Like, we don't make any money off the articles or anything like that. It's just to get the content out there so that people sort of read about it. We're, we hope to sort of raise some points and some stuff that that sort of just improves dodgeball. Um, a big thing for me is making sure people get the right sort of fitness and sort of the right information around training and all of that so that they can actually develop their skills. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to do everything we can to help dodgeball grow, really. What would you say, from the House of Dodge perspective, what would you say your biggest, you personally, your biggest accomplishment was? From House of Dodge? Yeah. Um, the thing that I look back on as, like, that was really, really cool. Um, I did an interview with Dwayne Wazinski, and I remember before the, like, it was the first time I'd ever interviewed anybody in my life. And, like, instead of starting small, we went to the, like, very top of Dodgeball, and we interviewed, like, probably the person that's in charge of the most stuff in Dodgeball. Uh, and, and I was just... Uh, to put it politely, I was pooping my pants. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was so nervous. I was like, oh, man, this is going to go so badly. Um, but I knew it was information that needed to get out there because I've not, like, I think, I think a lot of with Dodgeball, I think the communication channels aren't fully there yet. Like, for example, if like the FA want to make an announcement, they make an announcement, but then like all news channels cover that and they sort of, then people generally find out through the news channels. Whereas at the moment, if like WDBA or British Dodgeball, for example, put out an announcement, there's not the coverage then to spread it around sort of the Dodgeball community. Um, so I just thought it'd be really nice to speak to Dwayne about sort of his vision of where Dodgeball's going. Um, and just sort of, I guess, kind of expose it to the dodgeball world a bit and sort of get everyone on the same page. And, uh, yeah, in the end, I thought the interview went really, really well. Um, Wayne obviously made it easy on me because he's such a nice guy and he's so good at talking. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's used to doing this sort of stuff in his job. Um, and he was so comfortable and sort of put me at ease, which was nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, no, it was, um, I would say that's the thing that I'm most proud of at the moment was was doing that interview. And like, I, I remember after I did it, a lot of people came up to me like, oh, that's so cool. And like, I didn't know this and I didn't know that. And like, it's nice to know that like the WDBF are working on these things. And like, for example, we spoke about the Olympic stuff. Um, and Dwayne was just so open about it. And like, I think a lot of people didn't even realize that we've started putting the, um, putting like the groundwork in to start applying to be an Olympic, um, an Olympic sport, uh, which obviously got covered in the interview. And I'm fully aware that not everyone's seen the interview. Um, so there's still a way to go on the whole getting communications out to everyone. Um, but the people that did watch it, I think, it, it was sort of quite informative for them. Yeah. Um, I would say 
that would have been what I would have thought would have been your number one achievement because I interviewed him last year, I want to say three months prior. And yeah, yeah, prior to when I took over the season. And awesome dude, man. I got to meet him when he was here in Los Angeles. Really cool dude. Definitely like someone who I said, like he's at the top of the table, head of the table, so to speak, but he's very friendly. He's like very approachable. So it's no surprise when you felt the same way on that end. Um, and we'll definitely link that interview um, to this uh, episode when this airs so more people can see it. Because it was definitely yeah, a fun interview. And if people want to subscribe to the YouTube channel, they can do that also if they want. Yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. We'll definitely try it. I'll Go for it, dude. This is perfect. I'm not going to shut you down for it. Let's put, let's put all that info out there, all right? When this airs, if you follow us on the on the um, Facebook group, we're going to p- uh, put his uh, YouTube channel on there and um, and that interview as well, so you guys can subscribe to it. Um, definitely want to help content grow every which way I can. Um, so Actually, just, just since we're, we're doing plugs and stuff right now, um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're actually looking to put a lot of really good content up in the next sort of six months or so. So now's a good time to subscribe. <laughs> there you go you see subscribe now and the next six months are going to be impactful for sure um so i wanted to ask uh i wanted to i wanted to get on on track with this one so you said you played a lot of sport what sports did you play growing up uh, so football was always my main one um that was sort of the constant since i was i actually didn't get into it from a young age i got well i got into it when i was about 10 or 9 or 10 um, but I did football and then I did athletics at a local club. Um, I played a bit of baseball, a tiny bit of basketball. And then at uni, I did volleyball, lacrosse. And I've recently started doing a bit more golf, but I wouldn't class that as serious. There's a few Spartans that have started playing golf and I sort of go along with them. <laughs> so when you're playing but golf, do you... Just a couple of sports. Just a couple. So when you're playing yeah. golf, are you like you when you say you're not serious, are you like drinking pints on the on the green or uh not quite. Um uh, not, <laughs> not there yet. I I'm not I'm not really worrying about my score or anything like that. I'm just yeah enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the company. Um and hopefully hopefully avoiding the bunkers. Yeah, let's avoid the bunkers, people. Um Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could putt really well, but if you're asking me to drive it, I can't promise that it'll go straight. Yeah, I don't think many people can. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, hold on. The trick, just, the trick is to know which way it's going to bend and then just um, sort of hit it completely the other direction and then hope it lands somewhere near the fairway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. You just kind of just swing and hope it just curves where you kind of oh, want exactly. it to go. Yeah. And then one in 10, you'll hit straight and it will go onto a different fairway. <laughs> so I, I had an interesting experience a couple months ago when I played, when I played golf the first time uh, or first, second, whatever. I, I hit my, the, the golf ball right off the tee, but it shanked so far to the right they actually went to the parking lot. Oh, nice. Yeah, no, I wasn't trying to do that. That was the point. <laughs> that's 
that was all an achievement right there. <sighs> yeah, that, that was a happy Gilmore moment. If people have seen that movie, it's a classic. Yeah. Uh, so, did you have any role models growing up, and who would you say are your uh, role models or people you respect highly in dodgeball? It's funny, I've never really had like this kind of role model sort of uh, outlook on life, I guess. Um, growing up, I was obviously an Arsenal fan, um, and Patrick Vieira, who I've already mentioned, Thierry Henry, Dennis Berg. Camp. Uh, yeah, so my role models growing up, I guess, uh, I wouldn't say I had role models as such, but I, I watched football and I supported Arsenal, so uh, Patrick Vieira, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp, they're sort of names that come to mind. Uh, more recently, I'd say sort of Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola and uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan are big role models in terms of they're just Ronnie O'Sullivan, especially he sort of they're very real. Like they don't try and hide behind a corporate mask or anything like that. They don't really say what they're supposed to say. They they all sort of uh, yeah. They just they just are themselves, uh, and, and it's so refreshing to see, especially in the sporting world. Yeah, um, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, I would say I would liken him to like Jose uh, Jose Mourinho. Um, yeah. And then if you want to go the American route, uh, Patrick Beverly or or even Allen Iverson from the NBA. And that's something I also agree with. Uh, this is going to sound kind of controversial to people who may or may not know me. I don't like cookie-cutter answers. I, I don't like corporate answers. I like authenticity. Now, if it sounds a little bit harsh, it's who they are. It's what they feel in the moment. It, you're – you know, these guys are athletes. They're not, you know, other than them being sponsored by, you know, a variety of companies, they're athletes. They're not corporate people. You know, you, I'm a fan of Kobe Bryant because he plays his heart out and he speaks his mind. Like, and so is Patrick Beverly. So is Jose Mourinho. Like, these guys speak their mind. And that's something I'm always going to respect. And some people can, you know, bash me in the comments saying they may, you know, say the wrong thing or whatever, but. I sometimes say the wrong thing, but the wrong thing relative to who? At the end of the day, everyone's human, right? Right, exactly. You're not perfect. Like None of us are perfect. Just say what you feel in the moment. So who would you say uh, the people you respect in Dodgeball highly? Um, So I've always, like Jaff, I have to give Jaff a mention. He's been with me since day one. And his attitude to sort of, well, to be honest, his transformation over the years um, is incredible um but yeah his attitude towards fitness his dedication to dodgeball his sort of his eagerness to just help everybody um is just it is so refreshing to see um and yeah you just can't fault him he's such a such a great guy um so i've always respected jeff um alex harrison and brett i would say are the two players that i have sort of always tried to get to their level um, I'd like to think I'm sort of there at the moment, but there's always there's always there's always ways to improve and always ways to get better. But Alex, Brett, I've I've sort of based my game very much on their games, um, and I've learned a lot from them just watching them and playing against them over the years. Mm. And then obviously Karen, Karen Pickering, um, yeah, she's just phenomenal. Like she is just an unbelievable player. 
she takes everything in her stride and sort of just the passion she plays with, just the sort of grace on court and and off court as well. She's like, if you ever speak to her, she'll just talk your ear off about any tactics or why why you need to do this against that certain player and why you need to do this against another player. Um, She's probably the player that I've, I think thinks about tactics the most that I've ever I've ever known out of anyone. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't surprise me, actually. Um, funny fact: I was actually going <laughs> to ask her uh, ne- uh, for an interview next season, whenever we can make that happen, just because I think people need to hear her story as well as her dodgeball IQ as well. So, if I can make right, that yeah. happen for season six, that'd be great, and we'll just make that happen for sure. Yeah, she'd love to do that. Um, I'll put a good word in for you. <laughs> oh, I would hope so. I mean, I would think my name <laughs> means something in the game at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, obviously, it's good. What I can do. Where was that? <laughs> I pull some strings and I'll see what I can do for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll definitely make it happen. I, I definitely, if she says yes, I'll make it, I'll bend over backwards or you know, do this interview at 3 a.m. and it'll be like 2 p.m. for you guys, whatever. Yeah. I'll make it happen. Like, like, no, yeah, she would, love, she would love to do that. She's got a good story as well, so I'll let her tell you that. All right, for sure. Um, so kind of a confession, I'll, I'll admit. So this interview that we're doing right now is the earliest I've done all year, or all season, rather. And I did not sleep when I got home, I did not want to oversleep and miss this. So I, I got home. And, were, I thought you were going to say because you were so excited. Well, part of part of it, <laughs> obviously, I'm excited, but I got home at 4 a.m. and I had to essentially kind of take a nap until uh, eight. So eight would have been 4 p.m. your time. Um, so yeah, it was just like I, I did wow. not want to oversleep. I wanted to make this happen. So, like I said, I'm willing to make it happen. Karen, if you're listening, I'm willing to make it happen. <laughs> um, well, I better not blabber on too much, then. Otherwise, uh, I need to get you need to get back to bed. Eh, I'll be all right. I don't. <laughs> if if you heard my um, sort of recap with uh, my uh, other host, Steve Damon, he, he'll jokingly tell you I don't sleep anyway. Okay. I'm like I'm like Batman. I don't really sleep. Um, <laughs> so all right. And this is going to be kind of a throwaway because I feel like I know the answer to this. Who are the rival players or teams you look forward to facing all the time? Oh, yeah. As I said earlier, it's got to be Meteors. Um, I've just pretty much since I started playing dodgeball, Meteors have always sort of been around. Um, and sort of for the last five, six years, they've just been unstoppable. So it's been my mission to stop them, basically. My life's <laughs> mission. Your life's mission? Yeah. <laughs> Are you speaking for your, well obviously you're speaking for yourself, not Spartans, but you, you just want to Yeah. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. It's just I'm like, I've gotta beat me to us. Gotta beat them. <laughs> <laughs> so I noticed sometimes um on your Instagram you post workout videos. I think it's oh, in yeah. your garage or something. Um so every time every rep you're thinking I gotta take out meteors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I no, love it. It's not, not quite that extreme, but um, eh. it's definitely part of my motivation is uh, just to beat me. That's cool. 
Um, <laughs> do you have any uh, pregame rituals before going to, say, St. George's Park or an Open or anything like that? Anything you must do before you play? Um, I'm not a very ritual-based guy. Um, I like I like my headband. I've always worn my headband since uh, since almost I first started playing. Um, it just feels good to have my headband on. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think if I do anything. I don't think I do anything. I like to be quite calm. Um, sometimes in tournaments, if I'm feeling a bit fatigued and stuff, I'll go off for five ten minutes. And, or just sit somewhere quiet and sometimes I put a meditation on on my phone or something um, but that's that's not a ritual or anything that's just something I do every now and then if I'm a bit yeah. tired um, I don't think I've got one to be honest uh, I, oh actually something I do is I look at the players opposite me um, so sort of when we're lining up before the game I'm just sort of checking who I'm playing against sort of just so that you can really visualise hitting them out <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i figured you you did something because you always have a headband or a bandana more, more yeah. often headband so i figured like that was had to be something to do with a headband for sure you, i've never seen a picture with you okay without granted let, let me scratch that i've never seen a dodgeball picture of you without a headband <laughs> <laughs> So I thought I'll, you were going to say any picture because I actually wear it to bed every day. So. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you know, eventually you got to either wash it or throw it out or get multiple and wear them throughout, right? You can't keep it. you got to keep the lucky sweat. you got to oh. keep the lucky sweat. You can only wash it if you lose. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Okay. I'm joking. Okay. I, wash it. I wash it after every event. <laughs> All right, I, I would hope so. I mean, I'm I not, got like, not. I got like five. Yeah, I got like five or six headbands. I I just rotate them around. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair enough. Um, so you don't have any like pregame um, music you like to listen to? You just meditate and you just warm up and yeah, stuff like. Uh, for me, like I know a lot of people quite like getting like riled up and sort of get the testosterone pumping and all of that sort of stuff. I'm, I'm sort of exactly the opposite. I, I like to be calm and I like to just be sort of chilled, a bit focused, you know, and just sort of get on court and do what I can. The man of simple things. Um... Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I like to think I'm quite a tactical player. Um, so for me, a clear mind sort of improves my game. I can see that. I can see that. All right. Um, Jesus Christ, there's so many questions here. Um, <laughs> so we're going to get into it. The crowdsource questions. Uh, first one from Tom Bearscale. What's your favorite experience from playing at the World Cup in Mexico? Um, so my favorite dodgeball experience um, was when we played Canada and Australia. Because our first ever game of phone in a World Cup was against USA. Um, and basically, I, I didn't really feel like we were competitive or anything, Like we sort of just got blown out of the water. Um, so that wasn't very fun. Uh, mm -hmm. But against, against Australia and Canada, I felt like we were, we were really competing, like we were in the game. We did lose both games, um, but they were extremely cl close score lines. And like to play against, the likes of like Mergler and Jeff Snow and feel like, okay, yeah, like we could, 
we could potentially take these guys, um, like if not now, like next time we play them. Uh, so that was a really good feeling just to be competitive sort of at mm. that level because none of us really knew what level we were playing at or how we would uh, sort of last in a four-day tournament of home and all of that sort of stuff. So it was quite nice to play at that level. So yeah, that, yeah. that was probably my favourite quad four experience. Um, there was a game we played in the tournament, which is which I found really funny. Uh, it was like, uh, where's Bevers? Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> Bevers um, just seemed to wander off all the time when we were meant to be doing like a team warm-up or something like that. And you would sort of just see him like with a random group of people just chatting. <laughs> <laughs> we were playing this game like, where's Bevers? And uh, Henry took quite a lot of... Um, wide-angle pictures of the arena and uh, he was going to make a book called Where's Bevers because he was always just like in a corner somewhere speaking to like a, a group of different uh, people and stuff so that was quite fun <laughs> um, but yeah I think uh, Coco Bongo was a highlight um, and also the after party of the, of the whole tournament that was that was pretty sweet so will that book ever be released? I'll actually, I've just remembered another good story from Cancun, actually. Sure, go um, for it. So, uh, I can't remember for the life of me the name of our, the guy that rented our first house in Cancun. Um, but anyway, we were in this guy's house and he seemed nice and friendly. He picked us up from the airport and stuff and we were staying in like this big villa with a pool and everything. It was quite fancy and it was quite nice. Um, but, uh, on one of the days, I just sat on the kitchen cabinet, on the kitchen uh, surface on the side. And basically my entire life, my mum's been like, don't sit on don't sit on the kitchen surfaces. Don't do it, you'll break it. And I'm like, mum, I'll never break this kitchen surface. Uh, but anyway, in Cancun, I realized that my mom had a point and uh, I sat on the surface and like fell straight through it and just snapped this marble surface. Oof. <laughs> yeah, so it's safe to say that the guy that rented the house to us, he was not happy. Um, and he came into the house when we were out at the tournament. And basically, when we came back, he didn't let us back into the house. Um, and he said we had to all take... Actually, he sent... Our coach at the time, JST, I think I caused JST quite a lot of stress, but he took it took it like a champ. Mm. And he said, you guys focus on the tournament. I'll focus on all this stuff. Um, and I think I've probably stressed him out quite a lot from this situation. But um, the guy that rented the house, he only let JST go into the house. So we were all giving him lists of stuff like, oh, you, could you pack this in my suitcase? Could you make sure you grab this from like that random drawer that I unpacked it into and all of that? And JC had to go back into the house, pack everyone's suitcases. And then basically we got kicked out of this place. Um, so that, that was pretty crazy. We brought um, a couple of the Mexican players because um, they would sort of translate in for us. Um, yeah. Because the guy, the guy that rented it, his wife was Mexican. And uh, yeah, she, she wasn't very happy either. <laughs> uh, but anyway... We, we got kicked out of this house and we were like, oh, God, where, where are we going to stay now? Uh, but Jeff, back in England, uh, good old Jeff, 
he was fighting our corner, um, and he got us he got us uh, a new place to stay, which was closer to the tournament. It was it was nicer, it was bigger, and um, yeah, it kind of worked out well for everybody except this guy that rented it to us. Um, because <laughs> basically, we pay, we'd paid a deposit, so we were like, okay, yeah, sorry about that. You can keep the deposit, and like he's he surely got insurance, so you can just claim on insurance or whatever. Um, so we were like, sorry, like apologies and all of this. Um, but we looked under the the marble surface, and it had been snapped before, like it'd been glued back together. So it wasn't it wasn't the first time it had been snapped. Um, but yeah, anyway, he was demanding like loads of money from us and everything. We were like, no, we paid you your deposit. That's the point of a deposit. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that that was all pretty funny um, for everyone except Jay, I think. <laughs> <laughs> So your mom always warned you about it, and look at you now. Yeah, my whole life. I came back, I was like, Mom, I'll never sit on a kitchen surface again. (laughs) (laughs) I finally learned my lesson. After how many years? Oh, good. Uh, Just a few, um, probably 25 years, 26 years. Actually, I probably (laughs) didn't do it when I was one, so maybe 24 years. Fair enough. Um, James Brown, do you think the national leagues would benefit from having more teams in each league? Um, I think it depends what perspective you look at it from. Uh, I think from a player perspective, I think the sort of standard of dodgeball would increase because especially in the top leagues, it means you're having more teams play against the top teams. Um, and as like I, I always think the best way to improve is to play people that are better than you. So I think standard would improve. Um, and it it could be more interesting, potentially, because there should hopefully be, if there's more teams, there should hopefully be more close matchups throughout the season. Um, but the downside to it, I guess, is that uh, the top teams already are sort of smashing the bottom teams. So if you add in more teams that are technically in the league below, it could just be more whitewashes, um, which isn't very interesting, I don't think, to play in or to or to watch. Um, from a different perspective, I would probably say less teams in the top leagues um, would mean it would be a lot more interesting for the spectators because I guess the idea would be that it's a much more competitive league and every game's a lot closer. Um, I also think I, I sort of posted a chat in the Dodgeball family posted a post in the Dodgeball family uh, page the other day mm. about um, getting sponsorship and stuff <clears throat> Yeah, um, and one of the guys there said like you've got to get a good stream and you've got to get a good online product before you can start looking at big sponsors really um, so I think potentially if you had less teams in the top league it would be a lot easier to produce like a good streaming product Um, because obviously there's less teams you could probably set up a camera you could probably run one court and just stream the whole day with commentary and stuff Um, so potentially that would be an easier thing to focus on Um, but it's tough it's tough to say I think a lot of these things are trial and error Um, if you try it out if the I think as a player, it's probably better to have more teams in the league. But uh, as 
as like a governing body, I think it's probably easier to manage with less teams in the league. Um, I also think it would then make it a harder league to get into, which makes it more rewarding when you get into it. It's more of an achievement to get into. Mm. Um, and I think, like in all sports, like no matter what sport you play, when you start and you get into it, suddenly you look at the top level and you aspire to get to that. So I think if you if you sort of I think with streams and stuff you've got to start at the top levels and and sort of get that good so then people that are just picking up the sport can watch it and aspire to get to it. Um, but yeah, I think I think it's it's one of them where there's there's pros and cons with more teams and there's pros and cons for less teams. So it's it's whatever the governing body decides to do. Yeah, James Brown really wanted to get you with that one. Um, next question. Yeah, that was quite a deep question. I mean, I've actually got no sway in what happens at all. So um, it would probably be better off to email uh, British Dodgeball or your governing body, I guess, if, if you wanted to know what their plan is. Sure. Uh, next question from Hannah Catterall, which is seemingly becoming a marquee question at this point. Dream team, but excluding your teammates. Yeah, it's a tricky question because um, obviously a dream team, you want the best players. And, um, well, both of our teams are top of top of their Super League. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, okay. Let, let's, make a, let's make a specific caveat for you to follow. Don't pick a Spartan. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> no, to be fair, the, the standard of dodgeball... Um, if you, if you take away COVID, the standard of dodgeball over the last three years has just inflated massively. Like, there's so much depth now in the UK leagues um, that it's quite easy to pick pick a dream team without Spartans. Um, <laughs> although the, the dream team would be better with Spartans, but we'll leave that out. <laughs> we'll leave that out. Yeah, she was specific yeah. about that, so. Yeah. Um, so my dream team is based on the cloth game. And uh, my, so my women's team, I would have Sarah Town at one, Jimmy at two, Meg and Harry at three and four, Lisa McMaster at five, and Kat Huron at six. And then for subs, I would have uh, Jintari and Alice. Um, and I think that is a very, very strong uh, women's team right there. And for the men's, um, I would have Tamas at one, Henry at two, Scotty at three, Aaron Murphy at four, Bevers at five, Brett at six, and I would take Josh McIlroy and Simon Parsons as stuff. It's pretty solid there. Um, I thought Kat Heron played for Spartans. Who? Kat. Kat Heron. I thought she played with Spartans. No, I wish. She's, um, she's a very good player. Um, she plays for Valkyries. Okay, okay. I think maybe they have a similar kit or something, but I could have sworn it was a red kit that I saw. Her in. All right. Oh, I was about to say you almost cheated that answer, but okay. I'll let you. I'll let that. I'll let that slide. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You just couldn't help it. I already caught it. Um, so we kind of already went over it, but if there's anything more you want to cover, um, Hannah also asked what inspired you to co-create House of Dodge. Yeah, I think um, I'll keep it brief, just to. 
it was it was just um sort of because we're both so passionate about dodgeball um and when you're passionate about something you want to you want to try and improve it um and that's basically what we're doing we're just trying to do what we can to to sort of work with the governing body and sort of work with clubs around the country and players and just try and just try and improve dodgeball as a whole not the crow okay and hannah threw a grenade with this one if you had to play one for the rest of your life foam or cloth well hopefully that decision gets made at some point by um sort of out of my control and hopefully one takes the lead um but if i had to play one for the rest of my life i think i would have to go foam just because um when i get to like 70 or 80 i think if i'm still throwing a cloth ball my arm might fall off um and the phone, <laughs> phone ball is a lot lighter so i think i'll get a lot less arthritis if i play with a phone you'd be the you'd be a bold british man to to pick foam over cloth <laughs> but your answer makes sense for longevity i think foam doesn't See, I'm, damage I'm not, the I'm arm not, as much yeah i'm not saying i prefer foam i'm just saying so when i get to like 80 or 90 will be kinder on my body <laughs> yeah theoretically it would be until somebody like Mergler is throwing it at you at that age that man's still gonna be packing heat yeah I'd be knocking knocking out my full Steve left right and center <laughs> next question <laughs> so the Hannah question um, what are you most grateful for today um, well, today I'm probably most grateful for the fry up my mum cooked this morning. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but sort of generally in life, um, I would say I'm very grateful for sort of finding my feet in life. Um, I sort of in my early years, sort of my early teens and twenties, I sort of um, I very much just followed followed like the easy path, and I sort of did what the expected next steps were and sort of I kind of I didn't have much control over the decisions I was making in my life I was just following whatever was easiest um, and then sort of in my mid-20s I decided oh, nah, that like I'm, I'm not in a good place so I just sort of took the decisions take back a bit of control I made I made a few tough decisions um, stuff that was really hard at the time but um I'm in such a great place now. I've obviously found Karen. Um, we've got a child together. I'm loving Dodgeball, loving House of Dodge. Um, my job now is as a gardener, so I'm working outside. I'm using my hands. I'm, I'm being active. Um, but, yeah, I just feel I'm grateful that I've taken back control of my life and sort of... Uh, yeah, I've found, I've found, yeah, so I've found happiness. I've got a family now, and uh, yeah, I wouldn't change anything. It's quite a beautiful family, I will say that for sure. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I think <laughs> I bring the beauty scale down a little bit, but ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, don't say that, don't say that. <laughs> I mean, if anything, your little man spotting you in the gym there. Oh, yeah, he's, he's cute. Yeah, you can't <laughs> he's, he's a cute little baby. <laughs> All right, Dave Prestage, 
with, I guess, another marquee question, I guess, going forward. Who would be on your dodgeball Mount Rushmore? Um, yeah, so I would have uh, Nick Pinnock. Um, I don't know if you would know Nick Pinnock. Um, I actually do know who he is. You know. Okay, cool. Yeah, so I think he definitely deserves to go on Mount Rushmore just for everything he did for dodgeball uh, back in the day and sort of yeah kind of like the founding father of dodgeball in the uk so um yeah such a great guy um definitely put him on um charlotte desire again for everything she's done for the women's game um i think without her the women's game wouldn't be where it is today um sort of on court and off court um i know her work sort of with beagles sort of developing a lot of youth players and uh her work with England and sort of her presence on court as a player as well. I think she deserves to be on there. Um, then I've got Aidan Woodall. I think he definitely deserves a shout out. Um, the work he's done with British Dodgeball and with Manchester Bees is just, he's such a great guy. Um, and yeah, I think, I think British Dodgeball are very lucky to have him. I think he's such a great worker and what he's done sort of finding funding for clubs and everything else he's done for Dodgeball is, uh, is very good. And obviously, I don't think it's just him, but he's now, I believe, are the biggest club in the UK. Uh, and he's been a major part of, of making that happen. And then yeah. finally, I would put uh, Lucinda Stott on there. As I, I'm not sure how you say her second name. I think it's Stott. Stott, yeah. Uh, Lucinda Stott. Lucinda Stott, yeah. Um, again, I think everything she's done for the game of dodgeball, I think a lot of it goes unnoticed. Um, but she used to work for British Dodgeball and she did a lot for them. And uh, she's now set up uh, the first, uh, what's it called, the Dodgeball Centre in the UK. So it's a, it's a purpose-built dodgeball arena for like running coaching and sort of she does a lot of junior sessions and everything there so I think um, the next generation of dodgeballs is, uh, dodgeballers are going to a lot of them will come from from where she is uh, and yeah I think she deserves a mention for sure um, she actually came up on my radar last year but who who was I talking to that brought her up uh, oh Catherine Catherine Thomas she told me that she developed the first dedicated dodgeball court for training sessions. Not like a yeah. shared court for basketball or foot, like a dedicated court for dodgeball. And I'm like, okay, I got to find out who she is. If you're listening, Lucinda, I'd definitely like to have you on for next season. Um, and definitely get your story out there because that is awesome what you were able to do. And I'm saying that all the way from here. So we can make that happen this is me publicly reaching out to you for sure we'll do it um what was the next question here um okay you know my phone just crapped out on me uh shaquille joseph might be a stupid question but what are your thoughts on playing cloth dodgeball with foam rules and vice versa okay this is actually interesting so personally I, my opinion is we need to work towards one rule set um, I think that's probably one of the first steps as a dodgeball hole that we need to do, at least on, at least at the sort of world level and that sort of stuff. 
I, I don't know if that's a popular opinion or not, but mm. I think you can still keep keep cloth and foam and rubber and all of this sort of stuff. But I think the, at least the rules need to be the same. Um, I think they're pretty close. That it should be fairly easy to just bring them together. Um, but yeah, in terms of, I don't think it would make a huge difference to be honest. Playing cloth with foam rules and playing foam with cloth rules, I think. I don't think the balls make as much difference as people think to the game. I think when you right. get used to the ball, you're good at blocking, you're good at dodging, and you're good at catching. I think when you start afresh with a new ball, obviously you're worse at throwing, you're worse at catching, and you're, you're worse at blocking. So it's um, it's one of those, I think, if everyone played cloth with foam rules after about a year, it would just feel like normal dodgeball again. So... I personally don't think it would make much difference, really. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Um, other than adjusting to the ball type, I mean, which shouldn't take that long anyway. As long as you understand the rules like, and, and you are familiar with how to move on the court, you can play essentially any style, any court size, pretty much yeah, anywhere I mean, on the planet. You, you look at any, any dodgeball rule set and the basics are the same. Like you hit someone, they go out, you catch a ball, the thrower goes out, right? That's like the basic mechanics of the game. If you block a ball, you survive. If you get hit by a ball, like, yeah, I've already said that one, but yeah. the basic mechanics of the game are all exactly the same. It's just a few little tiny rules that make, in my opinion, not a massive difference to the overall game. Um, that for some reason, they're still different in, in all the different versions of, of, of the game. Yeah, I definitely have to agree with you on that for sure. Um, Lottie Millington, uh, definitely someone who I've noticed is a killer on the court and someone who I'd like to interview in the future. Not really a question, but she just wanted to ask, how cute is Freddie and why? (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to answer that as she just posted. We just wanted to point that out there. We all love Freddie. Um, Vicky Barclay, why does Britain hate foam? And a part two to that question, why should we change? Um, well, I, I don't think, I don't, I don't know, I might be biased or something, but I don't think we hate foam. I think we hate change. I think as, as Britain, and to be honest, I think as a whole world, most, most, yeah. people, most people resist change. Um, so I think, I think it's not we hate foam. I think it's we hate having to learn a new skill. Um, it's like if you spend your whole life being a bricklayer and then someone says, oh, you need to fix toilets now. Like, you're not going to like that, but after a year, you'll be fine for, like fixing toilets. So um, I don't think we hate foam. I think the more people play it, the more they enjoy it. And then the more you play it, you realize it's just another version of dodgeball. Yeah. And we all love dodgeball, so I think give it time. A couple of things to point out. Uh, one... I would say, yeah, you're right. It's not so much a British thing. It's more of a human thing. Um, I'm sure there was quite a resistance from the change from three ball to five ball. And now people love five ball and they can't imagine how three ball ever worked. Um, uh, There is something I do got to call you out on. I don't know if I'd consider plain foam uh, comparable to fixing toilets, but hey, that's just me. Was that? <laughs> There's so many similarities. No, you know what? I'm going to cut this interview right now and I'll start. 
All right, so let's get into the comments. Um, you want to throw a jab at foam, I see. Um, Caitlin Barber, once a foam ball hit me in the face when I was off the court and I lost a whole bacon sandwich. I've never forgiven or forgot. Vicky Barclay, this is why Britain hates foam. I accept this cause. <laughs> so I interviewed Caitlin Barber now two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago, and uh, she shared with me that story. I don't know if it was on the episode or offline, but apparently she was eating a bacon sandwich, like on the bleachers or wherever, and someone missed, like somebody was really flinging a foam ball, like was really feeling it, and I guess they missed their mark and hit her sandwich to the point where all she had was a piece of lettuce from said sandwich. Oh, so um, at, least, at least she had the best bit of the sandwich left. You like the lettuce on sandwiches? <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? You get the BLT, right? For the lettuce. The lettuce. No, 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 no. All right. No, cut this. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have a serious discussion, okay? First and foremost, I had I swear I've had this discussion before and it was with Caitlin. Um lettuce on sandwiches, nah. BLT is a lazy sandwich. I'm sorry. I got to say it. You got to put some meat in it or you got to put more vegetables in it, but it's got to have more than just three ingredients for it to be a good sandwich. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like that, I'm, that's a hill I'm ready to die on right now. Like, no. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. It sounds like something you're very passionate about. So. <sighs> well, yeah, there's, there's plenty of things I'm ready to die on, and that's one. <laughs> uh, Susie Elizabeth. What? Oh, this is actually an interesting one. I actually miss this one entirely. Um, I'd like to hear what you would think. What do you? What rule do you hate the most, and how would you change it? Uh, so this is funny, actually. The rule I hate the most is um, like the ricochet, ricochet catch rule. Um, like for some reason, I don't know what it is, but I seem to. A lot of people seem to catch me out when I like hit one of their teammates on like the toe, and it just bounces up into their arms, and they get catched. <laughs> And as a player, it is the most frustrating thing ever. Like, the shot has gone exactly where you want it to go. You've, you've like, broken their toe. And then it just pops up into the, the other player's hands and you're out. And it's like, I'm out because I've done a perfect throw and it's bounced up. Um, but having said that, that's the rule I hate the most, but I wouldn't change it because um, I think in sport, you've got to have that kind of jeopardy and you've got to have that kind of... Um, I think luck makes sport interesting. Um, yeah. And and it's not always luck. Like, there's ways you can dodge and there's ways you can attempt catches where the ball, if it hits you, it still goes up in the air. Um, so it's not entirely luck. But, um, yeah, I, I really hate that rule when it happens, but that's just as a player. I think as a spectator, um, I personally think it's it's quite fun to watch. Um so I wouldn't change it. Um, what rule, rule would you change? There's a rule that I would change. Well, it's actually not a rule. Um, so there's a play in the game where if someone gets caught, like um, as in they're, they're just exposed in mid-court, every now and then you see it where they start running towards the dead zone and they start running towards a player that has a ball. Um and in the UK, I don't know what it is in other in other leagues or stuff. So they're standing like right next to them, like, go on, then hit me, hit me, and all that sort of. 
basically running at the player with the ball because they think that's the safest place. Um, and basically, in the UK, if you hit them in the head, even though they're like, I don't know, 30 centimetres away from you, and that's like the only place you can hit them, um, you get a yellow card for it. And it's like, they could have just walked, they could have tried dodging backwards, but instead they chose to come like up in my face. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what other people think, but in my opinion... If you're putting yourself in the dangerous position, you have to accept a headshot. That's my opinion. Um, but either way, I think there should be a rule on it in terms of they just need to clarify that if someone is like that, because at the moment there's not an actual official rule, um, I think there needs to be a rule just to clear up that if someone does put themselves in that position, are you allowed to do headshots or is that class is dangerous play that's interesting um i didn't know you can get penalized for that over there because i saw that quite a bit when i was in kennick and i didn't see a single yellow card in any of the games i saw that in so it's deemed as dangerous play but only if you hit them in the head so most players yeah i've seen plenty of that and it was never carded yeah i saw i saw the a couple of the french players do that i saw a couple of the was it the virtue kids i saw them doing that i Kids doing that against grown adults. I saw a bunch of other random teams, I, I can't recall at the moment, do that, and it'd be okay. Like, why would you do that? I don't know. It's not really the smartest thing in the world. I mean, if you're going to do that, you might as well go in a boxing gym and, and spar with your hands down. It's, it's stupid. Yeah. Well, the um, stupid thing is I've seen people make catches from that position because the other player just panics. Because yeah. Because they don't even head. They just aim at their body, and then they just make a catch. Um, I just, I just think there needs to be a rule on it. I wouldn't argue what the rule is either way. Um, I just oh, think, I from, from my, from my perspective, the player is choosing to put themselves in a dangerous position, so they they should just accept whatever happens yeah. after that. Yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't actually know that. Um, for me, geez, it's funny like that. That would be something, now hearing about that, that, that would be something I would change. It's almost like for me, it's like one of the rules I would change if I was still fighting um, what they call the 12 to 6 elbow rule. So if you put your elbow if you put your elbow in hand and if your hand is at where the 12 o'clock is and um, on the clock and your elbow is at the 6 and you go down, that's a penalty. But okay. if you were to swing it, let's say if you put your um, hands – your your uh, elbow, let's say at nine at three. So your hand is at the nine o'clock position. Your elbow is at the three o'clock position. You could swing it, and it that's okay. But if you're doing up and down, that's uh, wrong. Okay. Yeah, I got you. That doesn't make any sense. As someone who's been practicing martial arts essentially their whole life, the damage is done the same way both ways. Yeah. <laughs> like in, in the United States, in the athletic commissions, if you did that depending on the state, that's when you would get penalized and you would eventually get fined for reckless action. In England, you would actually get fined plenty, way more, under their athletic commissions. And if you're a foreigner, maybe even being detained, which is insane. Like, you signed up for a fight. Why Why are you being detained in a foreign country if that's what yeah. you signed up for, for a rule that is ridiculous? Like, I can break a board both ways and it's the same force applied 
Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that seems crazy. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But now that you explain that, I'm with you. That has to change. Or that has to be clarified, rather. Um, yeah. Catherine, as I said, Catherine. As I, said I, think, um, I think the rule could be either way. Um, but I think there does need to be a rule just to clear it up. Yeah. Catherine Thomas, how do you keep motivated? And what's your advice to others trying to up their game? Um, so, I mean, I, quite simply, I hate losing. Um <laughs> But, but also, it's not only that, I also just quite like the feeling of being sort of physically active and sort of fit. Like, life becomes easier when when you're fitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> True. So, it, so I think just keeping a general level of fitness is quite easy for me because I just like the feeling of, of being a healthy human being. Um, but then what pushes me to the extra level is my competitiveness. And it's just the fact I hate losing and... <laughs> I, I just want I want to be the best. Um, but yeah, my, my advice for others looking to improve is to really sort of learn the game. A lot of people I speak to are like, "Oh, I need to get a better throw," um, and that's that's like that's okay, but that's quite surface level. It's it's not like oh, I need to get better at throwing whilst I'm running, or I need to get better at standing throw, or I need to get better. At aiming at people's uh, shoulders, for example, or something like that. Um, so I think learning the the game is a lot more important. <clears throat> and there's there's lots of different ways to improve. So your throw could stay the same speed, but for example, on running counters, if you get faster in terms of running speed, you don't need as big throw because you're closer to the player that you're going to be throwing at because you got there quicker. Yeah. Um, and also that speed would probably transfer into your throw anyway. So you wouldn't have to do anything with your throw. Just get a little bit quicker up court, a little bit. Um, and for dodging and stuff like that, a lot of it is down to timing. So if you can wait till the very last split second before you make a big move, like you could dodge exactly the same as you've been dodging the rest of your career. But if you can hesitate for just an extra sort of half a second, suddenly your dodging could become 10 times better just because it gives people not the time to react to track you. Mm. Um, I think like fully committing to catches and trades, I think a lot of people kind of half dodge and then if it's coming towards them, they kind of half catch it. I think if you learn when teams are looking to throw, a lot of the time you can predict in the English game if a team is going to throw one or two balls. Um, and it's... I think if they're throwing two balls, it's probably a better decision to try and dodge, depending on the game situation. But then, kind of, if you're a good catcher and you know that they're likely to throw a single ball, just hit your knees, just get to your knees and set for the catch. Um, but just whatever you do, fully commit to it. Don't half dodge and half catch. Yeah. I think when you commit to, when you commit to something, you're you're far more likely to succeed in doing it. Um, so a lot of it, a lot of these things to improve is just. They're, they're very minor things and they're easy to improve. Um, and they don't necessarily need you to have more muscle or, or it's just sort of learning the game a bit better. Um, and the last thing I've got written down is <clears throat> um, get your, like, play for your team. Like, you could play exactly the same and not improve anything. But if you're just on an understanding with the player next to you, suddenly that can make you look a lot better like 
for example, if someone on your team isn't faking hard enough, suddenly they're not forcing the movement of the other team, which then makes it a lot harder for you to get a shot. But it also means that the other team are more likely to know that you're throwing. So then you'll get caught out more. Whereas if your teammate just fakes a bit harder, it could suddenly then make your throw more successful. So I think there's lots of things, lots of minor things that people necessar don't necessarily concentrate on that can make players a lot better without actually like physically improving themselves. Yeah, um, there's definitely a lot of uh, what we call macro in, in in sports, especially in dodgeball, like like uh, Straubs. I almost said Mark. I know your name is Mark, but I know you as Straubs. <laughs> as Mark Allen stated, there's a lot of macro uh, decisions and techniques in dodgeball that takes years to develop, um, but it takes time to so just throw yourself in there and fully commit to everything. Because even if you fail at something, the fact that you committed to it lets you know yeah. where the where the margin of error is as far as your skill set. And it, the more you commit to making that mistake and, and attempting it, you're going to close that gap. And eventually that mistake will just be an awesome play. And then it may even be a routine play down the road for you. You might be known as the best catcher when otherwise in the beginning, you might not have been considered even a threat in that sense. So, but there's a part two to their question. Oh, wait, no, you actually answered that. Never mind. Um, <laughs> I feel like there's a funny story with this one. Catherine Thomas, did you enjoy your, your Euros helping whales? <laughs> your Euros? You know, I said earlier that I've never got an England cap for for Euros or Worlds or anything like that. Right. Um, so the only Euros I've ever been to was as a ball retriever for Wales. <laughs> so you were oh, a ball retriever. What, what what year was this? Ah, uh, when was it? Or, um, or where was it? I can kind of figure out the year at that point. Um, Newcastle, I think it was. Newcastle or Manchester. <laughs> 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 Your memory is shot. <laughs> I don't know. Somewhere in England. Um, but you were helping out Wales? Yeah, so I was helping them ball retrieve. Um, and, yeah, I was dating Karen at the time, which is why I said, oh, I'll come watch. And then I was like, oh, I'll, I'll ball retrieve as well, um, just because I like sort of running around and stuff. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, it was just, it was really fun actually to sort of be at a Euros and not have any pressure of competing whatsoever. Um, and it was nice just to get the Euros experience. And Wales are such a good team. They're such a nice team to sort of be around and everything. Um, and yeah, I think I just really enjoyed ball retrieving for them. And that, that, <laughs> that was it really. I just, I just ball retrieved. They seemed quite grateful that, that I spent my time ball retrieving. Um, yeah, well, that, that, well, that was it. <laughs> well, they are—they are a killer squad. I actually had no idea. Now I'm going to be combing through the footage to see if I could spot you a few times. Um, <laughs> I would have to disagree on something, though. I don't—I don't think ball retrieving is as um, pressure-free as it is. I mean, you have to be quick to the ball, understanding who you got to give it to. The game situation. Uh, yeah, I would I imagine, so. yeah. yeah, there's more to it than that. I, I feel like you, you're you're retrieving. You're you're giving your team a second chance at attacking. And depending on the length of the gym and whatever other variables are out there, 
you want to make sure you get there quick enough to to get that ball to the right person on the court and and, and give them a fighting chance because if you don't get that ball and it's down the hallway and you can't even see it, your team's going to yeah. get blasted. The other team's not going to wait. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like if, yeah, if I see a free shot, I'm going to take it. <laughs> right, wrong, or indifferent, I'm, I'm going to take it. <laughs> yeah, so yeah no, I don't blame you. I, I do the same. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we think alike. Um, <laughs> so suffice to say, we definitely had a great time chatting. Um, definitely wanted to have you on for so long. So good to end it on a solid note, so to speak. But I want to ask you the legacy question. So Mark Allen, Straubs. <laughs> it's weird on you, Mark. How would you like to be remembered once you step off the court the final time? Yeah, the Straubs legacy. Um... <laughs> Um, it's a tough one. Um, I want to be known as like a, a fierce competitor. Like I want everyone to remember me as like one of the top dodgeball players. Um, hopefully, by the time I finish, one of the top dodgeball players there's, there's been. Because um, that's, that's what I'm aiming at is to be the, the best player in, in the country. Um, so hopefully, one day I'll get to that. Uh, so I'd like to be remembered for my dodgeball, but also like on and off court. Um, I'm coaching this season. I'm coaching the Spartans women, and I'm actually really, really loving doing that. Uh, and I, I like to think that I'm a pretty genuine guy, pretty honest guy, um, and sort of yeah, just my passion for dodgeball. I just really want to be remembered for doing everything I can to to try and help dodgeball out. You know, just try and I want dodgeball to be in a better place than when than when I started playing. I want to leave it. I mean, the goal is the Olympics, right? Like, eventually, I want future generations to be able to, like, to have fans and stuff in the stadium, and <laughs> maybe, maybe have some sort of wage and and just love playing, like, make a living out of dodgeball. And I kind of want, hopefully, throughout my career, I'll have some sort of impact in pushing it forward. Well, I would say. Well, first, I want to tackle your last point, some sort of impact. Um, I would like to think you've already made an impact and you're just adding to it. Um, that last sentence kind of sounds like you're selling yourself short. and I don't think you should. I think people should know who you are. I think people should know your passion. And that's very evident, not just in this interview, but in any conversation that I've had with you it was clearly evident from, from the jump that you're one of the most passionate players that I've ever talked to. And anyone who would talk to you on a one-on-one -on -one basis would agree with that. Um, I appreciate that. Thank you. I would, I would say hearing that you've never capped for England. Now I'm going to comb through as min much England film as I can and try to prove you wrong, but I feel like I probably come up short. I feel like as talented as you are, uh, you're often overlooked, and I don't understand why. Like, yeah, when you have when when I talk to players here, especially people who went to Chicago, I hear about players X, Y, and Z, but your name seldom ever comes up. And I feel like part of that is because there's so much talent over there in England that even at not not to say the bottom tier or the B tier, but even after you you 
drop off from the usual suspects, so to speak. There's still some talent that you just that you got to know about. Maybe people yeah. don't know you as Drobs, or maybe people know you as Mark Allen, or maybe people think those two people are separate. Or rather, it's the same person, just a different nickname. Um, I would like to think that in sharing your story and cementing it, I can help shed that moniker of being overlooked in some ways. Because personally, I'm going to say it. I think you are, and I know you're talented. I know you're accomplished, and I know that you're not done yet. This isn't over. And I'm personally rooting for you on that end to go down as one of the greats. Um, I find you very like-minded. And ultimately, I think dodgeball is going to be in great hands after you leave it. But the impact you have, you'll leave behind will definitely have your signature on it. And, um, you know, when, when Freddie gets old enough, he's going to smash your records. But until then, <laughs> you're going to be one of the goats in England uh, and potentially the world by the time it's over. And I can say that comfortably. And it's an honor to spend your legacy finally and uh, hopefully go one-on-one against you in some foam when, whenever that opportunity comes up. Yeah, that would be wicked. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's what you mean to me. And I think anyone else listening will, will say the same. No, I really uh, appreciate that. Thank you. And, and thanks <laughs> for having me. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. And thanks yeah. for getting up too early as well. <laughs> you can go to bed. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. I, did, I You have no idea how much anxiety I had. No, I getting out of work later than usual because of a lot of random mess. Just, I didn't want to miss it, honestly. I did not want to miss it. So, so before we wrap this up, do you have any uh, shout outs you'd like to give? Uh, just to Karen again. Just for <laughs> yeah, I, d- I just think um, she's such a fantastic person, um, and everyone needs to know it. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> they well they definitely will. If she says yes, I'll make it happen for season six. If she's around, hey, how you doing? Um, but otherwise, we'll definitely make it. If she says yes, I'll make it happen. You have my word, and I'm saying it to the people at home. If she says yes, I'm going to make it happen. So, <laughs> All right, and we'll wrap up. All right, and that was my interview with Straubs, also known as Mark Allen. Thank you so much for hopping on. Um, this might be – you know what? I'm calling it. This is my uh, season finale um, for this season. Um, hopefully. It's gonna it's gonna either be um just kind of give you guys an update. It's gonna be either me or Steve um to wrap up the interview with Ish. Uh, our schedules have just kind of never crossed in the right way. But um he you know let me just assure everyone he's excited about it. So we'll kind of bump him to <laughs> season six. Um, so stay tuned for that. Um, it's been a wild year. <laughs> And uh, I guess you could say my team is back. So I'm, I'm happy about that. And um, stay tuned for more solid content. Um, taking over for the season has been a blast. But with the team assembled, you haven't seen nothing yet. So if you've been with me up until this point, from the very beginning till now and onward, thanks so much and have a wonderful day.